All right, welcome to the Pursuit of Prosperity podcast. Uh, I'm Lance Wakefield. I'm here today with Mike Dennis. Uh, welcome. Thanks for coming. Hey, I appreciate you, Lance. It's good to be here. Yeah, so we're going to talk through uh, current market, what's going on, how both of us got into real estate investing, and just some of the different tricks of the trade that we've learned over the years. And and what we're seeing today is like what's going to be successful this coming year. Mike's going to fill in with where you can learn more about him and uh, get in contact with him if you need help selling your home. Awesome. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Yeah, I'm uh, Mike Dennis, obviously. I'm um, actually with Real Broker, just made a switch from KW. Okay. There eight years. Um, yeah, you can find me anywhere, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I've got my realtor pages up there. I've been active for a while. What's like your handle on uh, Instagram? Uh, it's just Mike Dennis. Um, just Mike Dennis Realtor. Uh, thankfully, I'm the only Mike Dennis Realtor <laughs> in North Texas, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, you can catch me at my website as well. We put all our active listings there. Uh, it's Mike at MikeDennisHomes.com. But yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, let's jump into it. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for coming in today. It's great having you here. Pleasure. Uh, so I know you're big in listings right now, and you focus mostly in like Tarrant County area? Yeah, mostly Tarrant County, some Denton County. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I was born and raised in Tarrant County, so it's kind of my stomping ground. And, yeah. Uh, it tends to be where a lot of my network sits. Cool. And what type of uh, like listings are you typically doing? Are you doing more investment type stuff? Are you doing just retail homes? What's your... Well, right now, butter. well, right now it's everything. You yeah. know, obviously, <clears throat> most uh, most agents, including myself, uh, when you get in the business, it ends up being predominantly residential listings, right? Single family homes, yeah. primary residences, stuff like that. But you know, as your network expands, the more people you meet, the more needs that you find that people need to have met, um, you kind of end up doing more things, right? So For commercial sure. land development, uh, ranches, uh, investment properties, you know, multifamily. Yeah. What's much. your what what has been your biggest like most successful vein? Where have you made the most money? Uh well, right now it's been single family homes, right? Good. Primary sales. <coughs> Just um like retail homes or investment homes? Yeah, retail homes. Retail Absolutely. homes. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's that's been the number one uh for a long time. Uh this year though, I think that's gonna change uh dramatically. Um really, why do you think that? Oh my goodness gracious. I I a lot of the relationships I've been building over the past eight years, eight and a half years since I got into real estate are finally kind of culminating right now. Um, developers, uh, national home builders, um, industrial developers, commercial builders, commercial developers, um, just, it, it just, for some reason right now, it's all, everything's coming together. That's great. After all this time. So uh, there's a lot of people I met right when I got in the business that I stayed in touch with, you know, some of them I've become good friends with, you know, uh, my wife and I'll go have dinner with them and their wives. Um, mm -hmm. We'll be at social functions together. Um, and uh, and it just happens to be that 2024 looks to be the year where a lot of those relationships start to blossom. That's exciting, man. So how did you, you, you mentioned eight and a half years since you got in, how did you get into real estate and, and what was the motivation? Ha <laughs> um, So uh, I actually was in home remodeling before I was in real estate. And uh, I sold everything in a house, right? Uh, floors, windows, doors, kitchen remodels, bathroom remodels. So you were remodels. in sales remodeling. I was in sales remodeling. Okay, yeah. cool. And uh, sold solar panel systems. <clears throat> Excuse me. Still getting over some uh, sinuses. Yeah, man, I've got something the last couple of days. I'm a little scratchy too. But um, <clears throat> I, uh, I actually had a friend of mine. I play music too, and I played guitar with him in a band that he had, and. Uh, and he, he was doing landman stuff or something around the state previously, and he was gone. He was in Galveston. or No, he was in Corpus Christi. I'm sorry. And he moved back, and um, 
he kept saying, you know, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I sell real estate and I didn't really think anything of it at the time. And he kept saying, oh yeah, I'm a realtor and this that, and the other. And I remember one day I was going to pick him up for lunch from his house in Grapevine. And, uh, and I called him and said, Hey, you ready to go? He says, no, nah, I got to, I got some paperwork. Just come on up to my office and, and hang out for a sec while I finish this up. So I went up into his home office and I was sitting at a chair, you know, in front of his desk and I looked down and, and I saw this check on his desk. It was a commission check. Mm-hmm. And at the time it was like two months worth of income for me. Yeah. And so obviously my ears perked up and I said, what is it that you do again? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said, Oh man, I'm a, I'm a real estate agent. You know, I, I, help people buy and sell homes. Mm-hmm. And I'm, yeah, I said, tell me more about that. And mm-hmm. then from there, and that was in 2015, okay. uh, that was probably in August of 2015. And so it just kind of went from there and uh, took all my exams in, in uh, the first week of March of 2016 um, and just, you know, hit the ground running, never looked back. So, yeah, it's funny. I have a similar path. 2015, I kind of <laughs> started getting more into real estate and 20 March, 2016 is when I did like, I sold like a hundred thousand dollars worth of assignments in one month, and I was like, "I'm gonna do this." <laughs> right. Yeah. And so since then, it's kind of been wholesaling, and wholesaling morphed into flipping, and flipping morphed into holding rentals and seller financing, and these other things that can create more longevity. Because one of the hard things about being like a realtor or even a wholesaler is you kill what you eat. Or wait, you eat what you kill. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> you eat yeah, what yeah. you kill only, and you can't. Um, there's no residual to it, really. I mean, there's there are clients who will come back. You, right. you sell them the home, they come back, and and then you sell their home. And there's that, but that's still you only get paid to do the work again. Correct. Right. Whereas like seller financing or rentals, you really do the work once, get it established once, and it keeps paying you forever. Yes. So, or not forever with seller finance. It's, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, but it's still a, a solid residual that can come from it. Yeah, there's there's uh yeah, you're getting dividends essentially because you know you're planting the seed, you're putting the work in, you're getting the investment going, and then you're capitalizing on that yeah. every year, every month, every year. So yeah. Before we were talking, you said that right now you're kind of setting aside cash, getting ready to do your own investing. And um, man, I would challenge that a lot. I would say don't do that. Why do you say? Well, my personal opinion is that uh, money I use to invest in real estate, I make from investing in real estate. You don't really need money to buy property. Like that's a really mis- that's a misconception in my opinion. Um, I bought, you know, twenty five million dollars of real estate um, between twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, and had no money, none. I got hard money lenders that would fund one hundred percent, and then I would get hedge funds and banks and whatever that would refi me out at seventy five percent of uh, appraised value regardless of my purchase price. And there's homes that I would hold, I'd get a $50,000 check for holding. And it was still cash flow. So it's like, what what money did that take of mine? It took 1500 bucks to pay closing costs when I closed the deal. But I recouped that at the refi. So, right. you know, there, there, don't get me wrong, but in order to make all that work, I had to find excellent deals. And so that was where the wholesaling came in and my ability to acquisition at a deep discount. So that's what helped me to be able to... Um, buy deals. And then there's also deals that I've gotten into where I just make the seller carry everything. Yeah. There's so, a lot of good opportunities out there. Um, especially right now with between subs two and seller carry, if you mix those two strategies, you can acquisition stuff with very little actual cash out of pocket. And then where I make money to go put cash into properties, once I sell a property after, you know, amount of time or whatever, the money that comes from that, that's the investing money that I'll, I'll use. So, right, yeah, you're, you're using your uh, your profits from real estate to invest in real estate. Yeah, I'm, I'm rolling those profits back in and then leaving my earned income on the side. I've I've not 
I don't know anybody who saved their way into a great real estate investing career, to be honest. Well, you know, it's interesting because so that kind of stuff, I do come across deals like that. Um, you know, obviously, I want to have funds set aside to to pay that monthly interest that you're paying on hard money. Absolutely, yeah. Right. So you have to have something there, mm -hmm. right? Maybe you're not saving up, you know, three hundred grand to buy a, a flip property in cash. But the one of the big reasons why I'm putting aside my own cash now is because a lot of what I'm going to be doing is not going to be uh, single family or multifamily investment. It's going to be development. Uh, investment. Okay. The reason being, so with that kind of stuff, so um, I don't know if I mentioned you, my wife is a CPA and her primary focus as an accountant is actually real estate investment accounting. Oh, that's awesome. She worked at some of the major, uh, you know, companies in the U.S., Goldman Sachs, USA Real Estate. You know, she was overseeing and managing, you know, one, two billion dollar accounting portfolios and had teams working under her uh, for commercial real estate development, uh, accounting. Um, man, I mean, some of their, I mean, it was big stuff, right? Yeah. And so now her, she actually started her own firm a little over a year ago, and her main client now actually uh, invests as a commercial uh, developer and a commercial investor. And so they always have, uh, you know, fundraisers yeah. for some of these deals they do, and the returns are insane on a lot of the stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm in a kind of a unique position because I get to, I get to look into these deals a little bit more thoroughly than... Yeah. The next guy, because my wife's the one doing the accounting. Yeah. And so <clears throat> on this stuff, though, you know, you can get into a lot of these deals for as little as maybe 50 to 75,000. But some of the bigger ones that are a little bit more risk, but crazy returns, you know, you're talking, you want to have, you know, two to 500,000, maybe a million in cash mm -hmm. to put into some of these. But, you know, you're getting back two and a half million, right? Yeah. Um, at that investment level. So that's kind of one of the things that we want to focus on. Um, obviously I do want to put together personally, I think based on the numbers I've run, um, putting together somewhere around 15 to 25 doors personally, oops, yeah. um, just to have, because appreciation on single family is always great. Plus depreciation on your taxes. I mean, there's a lot of good things the, about holding some property, a lot of benefits there. And so that's going to be one arm of that. Yeah. But because of how heavily invested I've, or involved, I've gotten into the development side. Uh, the returns are fantastic. And, um, and there's not really a lot of active work that I'm going to be doing, right? I'm not going to be going in with a crew, renovating a house, totally. refining, you know, at 70 or 75% LTV. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a little bit different of a play. It's really interesting um, what some of these guys do to put these deals together. And, um, but yeah, on the sub two stuff you're talking about, I haven't looked into that super heavily because I haven't had a, a vested interest myself or had clients that were looking to do that. Yeah. Um, most of the people I've worked with, uh, do come to the table with cash. A lot of them are a little bit older than us. And how old are you, by the way? I didn't even ask. Um, I'm 36 right now. I'm 36 too. Mm. There we go. So I, um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, a lot of the guys I've worked with are in their, you know, they're in their fifties, sixties, yeah. and they just have money from, from their careers and stuff. And, and so they typically buy cash. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, I know tons of people who have gotten into it, finding good deals, that did wholesaling yeah. and ended up realizing, hey, I can just do this for myself instead of, you know, working for this kind of like New Western, for example, mm, right? Yeah. Instead of working for a big company, they can start working these deals for themselves, mm -hmm. keeping the profit, rolling into the next deal, and so on and so yeah. forth. Yeah, one of the challenges with wholesaling and um, all that is like a lot of people, I think, have fear around the marketing and spending money on marketing. And that's fair because if you can't convert the leads you generate, you will lose the money. And so, um, <laughs> You know, there, there are some risks around wholesaling and a lot of wholesalers, especially when you're new, it's a big risk to take 
go spend that money and hope it returns. And I guess you got to have a lot of self-confidence or belief in yourself or sales ability or something to, to want to do it. Hey, just drive, wake up with a purpose, right? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm all about just ready, fire, aim, you know, yeah. <laughs> just start doing stuff. It's better to start trying. I mean, most of, a lot of my early deals too, I got for nothing. I would just drive for dollars and go talk to sellers and those two things together resulted in me buying deals and then I started spending money on marketing. Once I made money from it, I, I did spend some money. I spent like 2000 bucks sending out some postcards. I did a lot of driving for dollars. And dude, the driving for dollars netted me hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's like, oh, that home's super ugly. I'm going to go find that seller and go track them down and go knock on their door specifically. Not, not just door knocking randoms, like right. finding and be like, that home is a turd. No one lives there. <laughs> Where does the seller live? And then what I, one thing I found is there were sellers that were like, there's, I was in a small area, it was mostly downtown McKinney, and I found these sellers that were like, or these homes, there's just junky, and I kept noticing the same seller owned all these junky homes. So I went to that one seller and was like, sell me all your homes. And he's like, only if you'll pay stupid money. And I was like, well, maybe, what are you looking for? Told me numbers, signed all the contracts, and made like probably $150,000 just wholesaling his homes out. Yeah. And he was super happy because he'd bought the homes for $5,000. Oh, all and I was right. buying them for him for 100-ish thousand or so. Are you, uh, you're talking about that area, <clears throat> kind of that lower end neighborhood right outside of downtown McKinney right there? No, all over downtown McKinney. Okay. So both sides of Highway 5. There's the lower end yeah. that's east of Highway 5, but all of, this was, this is back in like, this is exact same timeline as you. Yeah. This is 2016, 2015, 2016. Did you ever run down uh, pre-foreclosure lists? I have like Roddy Roundup lists and stuff. Yeah. I've done those and I've bought some pre-foreclosure stuff, but um, haven't done a ton of it, to be honest. It's not been my main thing. It's interesting. Uh, that was actually a big part of what I did when I first got in before I was licensed. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I remember the first few times I knocked on some of these doors. Mm -hmm. And I was nervous. And I felt because I was feeling bad for the, for yeah. the homeowner, right? Absolutely. And uh, But, you know, interestingly enough, you know, after I talked to, you know, 10, 15, 20 of these sellers that were about to lose their homes, I stopped feeling bad for them. Mm -hmm. And I learned really fast that there was a reason why they were on that pre-foreclosure list. What's that? Well, so here's a great example. There was a lady in North Fort Worth. I think it was, uh, um, or was that over off of Beach somewhere? I can't remember the exact neighborhood now, but um, she was a really sweet lady, right? Um, she wanted us to help her because what we were going to do is we were going to try and sell the house, get the house listed, get it sold for, avoid foreclosure, all yeah. that stuff. And in the process of working with her, you know, she said, yeah, you know, I um, – I'm just really surprised that they started the foreclosure on this because, you know, uh, I thought they would have done a long time ago, but nothing ever happened. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I haven't made a mortgage payment in six years. That's crazy. I'm telling you. So what I learned that a lot of these people buried their head in the sand. Oh, yeah. And they thought that by ignoring the problem, the problem would go away. And um, and a lot of them were they're pretty belligerent, pretty stubborn, would, yeah. uh, would yell at us. And, mm -hmm. and my response was always the same. I said, hey, look, you know, I... I'm not the one who got you in this situation, but we're here to try and help you get out of it. Yeah. If you want to look at an option and these people, I mean, they would cuss at us, they would slam the door in our faces. And then sure enough, you know, a few weeks later, Tuesday morning. Yep. On the and sometimes we'd buy it, I mean, at the at the chopping block for, you know, yeah. significantly less. And yeah. and I felt bad because we were trying to do something for them, but I guess they I don't know what they were thinking, but you know, it was that was the consistent theme with that, right? Yeah. I've dealt with that group of people a fair amount. And what I find is like a common denominator is like shame, embarrassment. Yeah. And and then when that shame or embarrassment gets uncovered, they lash out to like kind of assert dominance or authority or whatever. So that 
they don't feel stupid for being in the position they're in. Um, but there's times where it's like, especially back in 08 and stuff, I feel like predatory lending was real. You know, it's like people were getting put into loans that they would not be able to pay. Shouldn't have been there in the first and place. Yeah, yeah they, there's there's less shame in that. Yeah, you did something stupid, but everyone makes mistakes. And um, at least, you know, you're in a boat with, you know, tens of millions of other people who yeah. also made the same mistakes because it was so easy. It was so easy. And it was so seductive. There's so many people making so much money. I remember talking to guys back in 06, 07, 08. They would go and contract with new builders and they would assign that contract five months later when the home's almost done and make 75,000 bucks every contract. Wow. And just selling it to That's whoever. it. They would just go to new builders, contract everything they would let them contract and they wouldn't have to ever get a loan and they would just assign those over to buyers that were coming in to buy those homes and make the, make the Delta double close, just like double close or just a sign. And it was just, it's, man, that's wild. You know, that's unsustainable. It's kind of like what we saw in 21 when things started going bonkers oh, and, and, and like spring of 21 through summer of 22. That 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 level of growth is utterly unsustainable. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually specifically remember the week that it started and the week that it ended. Yeah, yeah. There, there it was. It was the week after the snowpocalypse. The uh, that's when it started for me. Started in January. So, so I noticed it right after in February when snowpocalypse ended. So second week of second week of January, I had a listing in Colleyville, mm -hmm. awesome house, um, maybe a few years old, and uh, we had a bunch of showings, no offer. We couldn't get this thing under contract. I was mm -hmm. confused. And then uh, January, um, I did an open house the very first weekend. Yeah, did one the second weekend. The first weekend that we did it, I think I had three people come through. Second weekend, I had fifty people come through. Whoa! It was just from one week to the next, everyone decided. I guess because you know the COVID suppressed a lot of buyer interest, yes, right? Absolutely. A lot of people were really apprehensive about getting in the market, and so all the people that should have bought a house in 2020 or should have sold a house in 2020 postponed until yeah. 21, and then you had all the people that would have naturally bought or sold in 21, yeah, come to the market all at the same time. Plus interest rates being low. Interest rates were low, and then we had the snowpocalypse. <clears throat> that was hey, fun. Kevin, it's my computer that's yeah. making the noise. If you just want to put it in another room. Um, so, yeah, when snowpocalypse <coughs> happened, is it was also like we had hundreds and hundreds of homes that got damaged from that. So then that filled in, out any short-term rental, Airbnb, corporate rentals, all those got filled up. And then everyone who was doing that business had more demand than they had supply. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to grab homes to produce uh, to people and rentals were coming off the market and becoming, you know, furnished rentals so that people could. So there was all this stuff happening and it, it was just like, you're right. It was so many different factors that created this huge surge. Plus you had all these people, all that demand you talked about existed. Plus you had California yep. and New York buyers swarming in as well because they're like, we can't deal with these COVID restrictions anymore. Yeah. So it was like and all prices and, too. and prices and taxes yeah. and all this stuff. They're just done. And so it was all these elements that came together at once and created this crazy boom. It was wild. It, it was, wasn't it fun. Was, it was a wild ride. I mean, yeah, it was a wild ride. I hope I never see it again. Oh, I think we're going to see it again. <sighs> it's a, you know, it's a, it's a market, man. It's cyclical. It's going to happen again. I don't know when. Well, that, It's going to happen in both directions, too. I just, well, exactly. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to the, t the other yeah. way that we're going to go. Because if we can have a little depreciation on homes... To kind of like suppress that rise in prices yeah. for a little bit, uh, a little bit at least, at least a year or two. But uh, I hope we never see a twenty twenty one, early twenty two again. Because I mean, there were, you're, like you said, a great example. There was a house in Colleyville that I saw get listed, 
priced right, eight twenty five. Mm-hmm. Good looking house in uh, right off John McCain. If you've ever been over there, sold for one point two five million. That's insanity. What? Yeah. Like, what's the point? But the point is, is because the person who bought it from out of state. Yeah. They see the house. They say, "Oh man, back where I'm from, this would be two and a half million dollars. One two five is a great deal." Yeah. But the problem with that is that you that's an artificial inflation, in my opinion. Right. There's not a there's not jobs here to sustain that growth. Correct. Yes. And uh, yeah, because uh, yeah, wages haven't gone up enough in DFW to support some of the home prices we're seeing. Now. Yeah. No, they haven't. And it's but as long as that influx from out of state where prices are significantly higher continue to come in. I don't see it slowing. I mean, obviously it's slowed down, right? Yeah. But um, there's a a this year is going to bring some surprises. I feel like you know we've got an election going on. We've yeah. Got, there's a lot of things that that can happen. But the Fed has made it clear there they intend to reduce rates six times this year. That's one thing that we that we I'm not going to say no, but we think we know right right now. And so if that if those rate if those rate drops do happen, um, there's still a lot of pent up demand out there. It didn't get satisfied oh, yeah. during 21 and 22. Ooh. So if those rates come back down, the, some of that pent-up demand is going to come back through again, too. So, Well, the question is inventory. Yeah. Where is it going to come from? Well, this is kind of another interesting thing. So a big part of uh, what my daily routine is actually cold calling. I, uh, I call homeowners. I call uh, expired, canceled, yeah. right, of course. But I also circle prospect in areas that either if I have an active client looking or if I'm just looking to get more business in that particular area – and I can't even tell you the number of people that I've talked to who have been in their houses for 15 or 20 years and they're empty nesters and yeah. they're in 7,000 square feet. Yeah. Right. And my first question always is, Hey, when's the last time you went upstairs? And, and mm-hmm. it's a long pause on the phone, but, uh, there's a lot of that right now. And the reason why is because <clears throat> some of these people, I got a good friend of mine in South Lake built his house, you know, 5,800 square feet, awesome custom house on an acre lot. And uh, I think he spent 540 building it. Bro. And I mean, he could sell it tomorrow for probably one eight one nine. Yeah, I mean without breaking a sweat. Mm-hmm. And he's got you know he refi. I think actually his house is paid off, but a lot of people refied, or their house is paid off. So they've either either got a sub three interest rate or they've got no mortgage anymore. Mm-hmm. And so they're just paying property taxes and insurance. But that also goes back to what you were talking about earlier with the interest rates pushing people or the uh, property taxes pushing people out of their yeah. houses because now you know one point eight mil. I mean he's probably paying. 50, 60 grand a year on property tax. No, no, no. He's at... Uh, if, if it's a correctly Oh, assessed. yeah. I yeah. mean, assessed value, I think I think he's probably at about like a million, one, one. So, yeah. so he's at about 22 or 23,000 a year, which isn't bad for a property like yeah. that. Um, it's still higher than what I think we should be paying. Yeah. But uh, that's a whole... That's another that's rabbit another, hole, right? That's another rabbit hole. Um, but uh, man, I got to tell you, man, we're going to have to definitely uh, try and do some deals together. And for sure, I know you looked into some of the portfolios I'm selling. Yeah. And so, how did you those portfolios you're selling? How did you meet those investors that that um, that you're working with there? Well, so uh, the guy in Wichita Falls, um, I actually was referred to by another gentleman I had met, uh, oddly enough, at an open house on one of my listings from back in 2020, and stayed in touch with them. Um, he's actually a great contact to have. He, he does he does hard money lending. Mm. He uh, invests in deals as well. He supplies capital so that people can do some of the things that you've done in the past. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's a little bit more. He does some active investing. He does a lot of passive investing as well. So if somebody needs hard money on on a short notice, right? He yeah. can do up to certain amounts. Um, he's been very effective in that. And his actually his uh, his rates and uh, the points are pretty reasonable. Cool. So. I don't know if he's changed it yet, so I'm not going to say numbers. But yeah, um, so he actually got me in touch with the guy in Wichita Falls, and and um, and that's been working great. We've had a lot of interest, and I actually think we're going to be contracting that 
this week or early next week, um, we finally got a guy that already owns some rentals out in Wichita Falls. That's right. That's, that's right. I got to go for it. <clears throat> yep. And that's one to expand his portfolio. And he's looking for just straight cash flow. Yeah. Um, which is what this thing brings. Mm-hmm. Now, the uh, the Decatur duplexes, it's actually a friend of mine. I'm a member of a, a private wine lounge in Southlake. Cool. And um, so I've been hanging out with this guy for the last year drinking drinking wine. And <coughs> we, uh, <clears throat> we, uh, we just got to chatting about uh, some stuff I'm working on and some stuff he's working on. And, and he said, Hey, you know, I really would uh, like you to get to work on helping us get this portfolio sold. So I said, sure. And so we put together, you know, some data on an offering memorandum. And um, I've actually got a call this afternoon with a private equity firm on that purchase. Yeah. Your OM looks awesome. Yeah. Like, and it's a, great. yeah, it's just simple. You know, that was actually partially constructed from a previous realtor who was working on it. So I had to change some data on it, and then uh, and I and I talked to her as well, and she's really great too. But she had a hard time with it. They were ac- actually asking another million higher than what we have it at now previously, mm. and so now this was back when interest rates are lower. Yeah. So you might be able to justify that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But so we had to make some of those adjustments, and um, but yeah, I mean the whole thing is. Uh, I mean, it's good for someone who's doing the, the build to rent, right? Absolutely. Um, and uh, I know that's a, kind of a big play that a lot of guys are doing right now. A lot of guys are doing that. A lot of guys are doing all it. All levels, too, from from Wall Street, hedge funds, mm-hmm. big as they get, all the way down to, I'm not going to say mom and pop size, but I guess some. Some sm- smaller time investors, you know, they're doing developments like the one you were showing me in Decatur that's like, you know, 20 homes or something like that. Yep. So smaller, and they're able to get a good construction loan for it, get the land for a good deal, and then... Turn it into hopefully long-term uh, notes, but that that build to rate, uh, build to rent play has just become difficult with interest rates, and taxes, and insurance, and all oh, the yeah. costs. It's just, yeah, the uh, thankfully out there, property taxes are pretty low. Yeah, I'd um, imagine they're better. Yeah, I mean you're talking I mean, county, right? Yeah. So it's it's way a half of what it would be if it was you know down the street from here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that one will be a good good play for somebody. I think these guys will uh, get uh, get into it, but. Um, yeah, that one's great. Um, working on an industrial development deal actually right now. Uh, big, big, big one. $40 million uh, just for the dirt. Wow. So, yeah. Where is that at? Uh, it's. Uh, I mean, you just say the county. It's in Denton, Denton County. Denton County. Um, Industrial's blowing up here, from what I understand, because even at the high rates that we, we feel here are high compared to coastal, so east or west coast, where most industrial exists currently, it's. Less than half. So it's like it's that big of a difference. I didn't that, know it was that, that high big, on, the, a, on the coast. It's a very big difference, and um, and with how close, how centrally located we are, it also cuts down shipping time. So, think if you're a uh, let's say a cabinet distributor is one of the ones we discussed. Cabinet distributor from China, um, they've got a, a warehouse in Jersey, but if they want to ship to West Coast, it's five six days. You got. Something in DFW, you can ship anywhere in the country in three days. Yep. Plus your costs are cut in half. And you've got shipping ports in Galveston and Houston, and then you've got train lines up here or, sh- or trucking. Shipping. Yeah. So either way to get it up here. And um, we're essentially looking at it. Obviously, Houston obviously has its advantages because it does have ports. Which Yeah, we, ports we are lack. important for sure. Yeah. But <clears> the, it, it, the growth is in that market here has a substantial upside, I feel like. Like industrial stuff is a great play here right now, especially as like retail's dying. But where's retail's not dying? It's transitioning from retail to warehouse. 
Yeah, that's it's, it. Because uh, it's like people are buying less stuff. Let's be real. No. We're buying more stuff. We're spending more money. We just want to spend less time in stores. Right. Yeah. Malls are having a hard time. Oh man. Yeah. Man. Actually, I just got pitched uh, a mall in um, in Fort Worth area. It's like Southwest Fort Worth. There's a a big mall there, and they're selling the not Hewlin Mall. I don't know which mall. I gotta look. I'll Off tell 20 you. Twenty over there. I want to say yeah. There. Oh, it's got like a Dillard's in it, and a, that's got to be Hewlin Mall. Yeah. Or no. Or maybe it could be Ridgemar Mall. I don't know. Because that's over know. off 30. I don't remember. I looked at it about a month ago, and I was like, dude, I just don't know what I'm going to do with it. They have a self-storage facility already in the mall. They turned one of the department stores into a giant heated and cooled self-storage facility. So they're trying to just sell the whole thing? So they're trying to sell the whole most of the rest of it, I think, but then the department stores are owned separately. That's got to be Ridgemore Mall. Because so, I thought that mall was going to die 10 years ago. Yeah, it's uh, it's mostly vacant right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of And, gotta, and that's they, Valley View Mall was up here in Dallas. was a big... Big hub up here from yeah. from like I want to say seventies to around two thousand when the Galleria was built and Galleria came in and it it's just been on a decline and finally the city there was some fire some hobos were in there living and they started oh, the fire man. in there and the city's like that's enough and they just tore the whole thing down oh dang so it was it was like getting torn out I mean malls you're right they're struggling a lot but but that retail isn't dying it's shifting into nicer malls like outdoor malls and different types of things like that yeah and it's shifting to online. So. Yeah, the, yeah, the online thing. I mean, that's where that's where those industrial development uh, opportunities are so big, right? Absolutely, because they need hubs to be able yep. to ship this stuff out. Yep. Um, and actually, yeah, one of the main accounts going back to my wife was Amazon that she worked on. Absolutely, and yeah, they uh, doing man, a ton here. I uh, she was working from the house at that time, and I remember I stepped in to grab her to to get lunch or something, and I was looking over her shoulder, and I was just looking at the vast number of transactions per state per city that they were building. I mean, all these million square foot, two million yeah. square foot facilities. I mean, it was unbelievable. Now, funny story, though, I heard later, <clears throat> she had left the company already by this point, but apparently they defaulted. Amazon defaulted. On on like half of that. I heard that on. Amazon did roll back on some of the scaling that they were doing and went another direction. But. Well, yeah, and when scale back, right, mm -hmm. and like resh and shift and refocus yeah. means that they had to default on some of those development deals they were in the middle of. I feel like that's part of really big business though is that oh, yeah. you know they default on leases and stuff all the time yep they take the kick um, well and they're still making money anyway yeah right because their shift is going to make it more money than what they're going to lose yep. on the deal they're walking away from yep yep so um man how uh what were you doing before uh before you got into real estate into all this yeah um i mean i was like 27 when i got into it i guess 28 and um i was 28, 29, I guess. And before that, I had some car dealerships that were like seller finance car dealerships, like tote the note, buy her, pay her dealerships. All right. Um, I did some of that. I had a restaurant. I did all sorts of different stuff. What kind of restaurant? It's like a Belgian, Belgian waffles. And it was like a, it wasn't, I mean, it was like a quick service place that was for college students right off of campus. Hey man, waffles is my jam. Yeah, so. man, they were delicious. So <laughs> it was, it was all sorts of, I mean, I've done all sorts of different things, but the business experience is really what helped me to kind of understand how to, um, operate and how to function as a business owner. And then I got into more of a real business, like real estate investing, I feel like is more, a little bit more buttoned up, you know, white collar. More. Can be, yeah. It can be. I mean, it also, a lot of the guys I know are 
pretty relaxed about it. Yeah. T-shirts and flip flops is, is a lot, is a lot of very wealthy guys too. So, um, but yeah, I wasn't really sure how to dress. So (laughs) this is a more investable industry though. Yeah. Like restaurants, who wants to invest in a restaurant? It's a terrible investment. Man, I I actually was in the restaurant industry for a long time for seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, in my, in my early twenties, I got in at 19. Yeah. You know, while I was going to school, worked through restaurants, fine dining as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I got into wine and yeah. and uh, spirits. But man, I have seen some restaurants go under pretty pretty quick. Oh yeah, I've seen restaurants <clears throat> pop up, open, and within a year they're already shut down. Yep, it's a it's a tough business. Um, I'm not a. I, I'll probably never do a restaurant again. They're just they just don't work very well, no. you know. And it's so there's so many factors and. A few bad reviews can take you down with, and it's just there's so much to do. And restaurants are for restaurateurs. I am not a restaurateur, <laughs> so uh, I'm good. I'm not. I don't want to do that anymore. But I really what what I've really found more of a passion for is giving people, you know, good places to live, whether that's through homeownership or through rental. And I just so much of the property we bought and buy are slums, basically. We're buying up these these boomer slumlords stuff and we're repurposing it and bringing it into an acceptable level for 2024. Well, you're not kidding. I mean, some of these places I've seen that they're offloading stuff they've owned since, you know, seventies or eighties, Yeah, the deferred maintenance is just astronomical. It's like, what do y'all, what do you mean you didn't, yeah. You know, you didn't replace this. It's like, oh, well, we just kept putting a Band-Aid on it. <laughs> oh, man, the Band-Aids on Band-Aids on duct tape, on super glue, on zip ties that I've seen. It's just like, dude, what is... Good? Original 70s carpet? Yeah. You know, it, had 50 renters through there, yeah. never changed the carpet? Mm-hmm. You know, come on, what are you doing? There's a lot of stuff like that that we see. And it, unfortunately, it results in, like, these honest slums. It's where, like, I've been in apartments where... I'll never forget. I was uh, there was I was in an apartment walking it, and there's there's 24 units. And my property manager, who's seen some crap, he couldn't even make it through all 24. Oh, at, wow. at 20, he's like, I got it. I can't can't because the smells yeah. and everything that you yeah. get going through these. But one of the things I saw in there was there's a woman who was laid out on the couch, and she kind of had her feet up on the upper part up here, mm-hmm. and her head was down flat here, and her eye kept kind of opening and stuff, and there were bugs crawling on her face, and she was so far gone that she just was just happening and it's just like man like i get that that happens and that's not a function of the real estate but the real estate created an environment where that could happen here absolutely and so we've spent almost nine hundred thousand dollars in that place almost as much as we bought it redoing it all wow and it's it looks amazing now and it's one of the nicest places in the area that we bought and you know we are we did probably over rehab it a little but what happens is when you have to tear almost everything out you can't put in used stuff, mm-hmm. so you've got to tr- increase the um, the level of the property more than honestly I, I would have wanted to. But now it's created a property that is just it's great, and I I'm and can be proud to be like, yeah, I own that one. Right. Versus what it was before it was like this is like a crack den. So um, you know I'm uh, I I totally agree with you, and I'm I'm happy to see these these changes happening. A lot of people, you know, say real estate investors were scum of the earth or whatever, but I mean, there's some bad ones out there. But absolutely. Well, I, have you ever met a bad attorney? I mean, come on. Uh, bad doctors, bad dentists. But I mean, you name it. There's bad everything. Yeah. So b- people get so hyper focused on real estate um, because there is this argument out there that it's you know there's a right to own a home. There's maybe, sort of, kind of, not really, but... Everyone has the ability to own a home. Correct. It just takes competency to get there. Exactly. It's just and like I, being rich. Anyone can be rich. 
you can, are you willing to do are what you it willing takes? to do what it takes to exactly. get rich it's it, it's not i mean there's lots of examples of immigrants that come here with nothing and a decade later are very wealthy so how does that happen if it's you know well it, there's well i got a couple of great stories about that but um and actually to your point about willing to you know do what it takes to get to homeownership funniest story i've got a friend of mine you know her and her uh her uh, fiance at the time were wanting to buy a house and um, so I started the process with them. We found a house, got them under contract. This is the first home. This is back in 2017. Mm -hmm. And um, we were going to do the final walkthrough on the house. It's uh, probably four days before close, three days before closing, something like yeah. that. And we get there, and they roll up in this just killer F-250. I'm like, man, what is this thing? And she gets out of the truck. She goes, look what I just bought yesterday. Oh. And her DTI was already, like you know, close. Yeah, it was yeah. close. And I mean, and I told her not to make buy anything, but apparently her previous truck, you know, had started kind of being on the fritz mm -hmm. and they couldn't wait one more week. And sure enough, <clears throat> lender got a hold of the info and we couldn't close Jeez. because they didn't they didn't listen to what the lender said, yeah. what I said. They, they just kind of reacted to a situation. Yeah. And um, and that's the thing, you know, it doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. If you make smart decisions, you know, with your money or you're at least patient in some regards. Yeah. You're going to see things change from day to day and go, oh, I'm glad I didn't buy that yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I've been in homes where the subfloor is uh, falling apart and they've got plywood laid on top of subfloor and flooring, <laughs> but they have a 90-inch $4,000 flat screen with a yep. killer sound system and and the bends in the driveway. And I'm like... Priorities. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, it's like you've got to... you know. Being a good steward of the real estate you have is a sure way to maintain its value. Um, it also is, it's neighborhood related too. If you've got garbage all around you, it's difficult to maintain the value of the real estate. Right. Um, so it, it does take some foresight to buy in areas where there are others who respect the, the neighborhood. Um, so it, if you're buying in the right places and you're maintaining the real estate, um, it doesn't have to be amazing, but it, it can't be slummy because the slummy places attract the slummy tenants that will make the places even more slummy. It's this, it's this vicious cycle. Um, so when we buy real estate, we're typically trying to break that cycle. Yeah. You know, we want to make it nicer and there's times where we can't because of different reasons, but, um, usually purchase price related, we can't do enough that to get it to really where, where we really want to be. But oftentimes we can still, improve it enough or even just do a good enough job of screening tenants that come in that we've got people who aren't criminals or sex offenders or things like that because there's so many of these mom and pops they don't even screen and if they do screen it's next to nothing they just get a good feeling they chat yeah, with them once that good like, feeling hey, you're thing good. and on. it's like yeah i mean that might have cut it in 1972 but <laughs> this is 2024 we need to you know yeah, have eyes dotted t's crossed boxes checked like uh, you got to operate like that now. And that's part of the consolidation of real estate that we're seeing is there's these more professional shops that can just outperform the mom and pops head and shoulders um, because they are doing it the correct way, which is maintaining the property, finding good tenants, making sure those tenants understand what they're getting themselves into or those, you know, like loans, like you're saying, making sure that people can afford it, making sure that they're going to make smart enough decisions to be able to buy the property. And when they go and blow $75,000 on a jacked up F-250 a week before closing on a home that they could barely afford, well, you lose that opportunity. Yeah, that was a sad day, actually. That is very sad. I mean, sincerely, it's sad for that person because it's like, man, 
Uh, and this was what year, roughly? I think it was 2017. So think about 2017. If they had not made that purchase, if they had purchased the home and they had sold the home right now, Oh man! I mean, it they was... could buy two of those trucks probably cash, regardless of the home that it was. Yeah, it was in it was in Bedford. No, no, oh. no. I'm sorry. It was at the. Uh, it might have been Euless. It was right at the border of Euless and Bedford. Still, all the mid cities areas like that. Oh, it's I mean, gone. It's seen gone to the roof. Insane appreciation. Yeah, it's doubled in value since we're absolutely. So it's like if that was a two hundred thousand dollar house, then it's a four hundred thousand dollar house yep. now, and that's two jacked up beautiful F two fifties today. I know. So it's just you know it's sad. It's because uh, the other sad thing that we just is. Last thing I'll touch on, we can wrap up, but sure. Um, the uh, like you said, there's so much built to rent. I, I do support and understand built to rent and why it's there and why it's necessary, but I do feel bad for the people who are buying into that and who are letting allowing themselves to rent for you know decades instead of you know getting the less nice place rather than renting that home. The reason that that's happening is because you would rather save and not do a 3% or 5% down and not pay the extra cost of homeownership. And today, in a short term, that is beneficial to you. Yeah, people aren't looking too far ahead. And, and no. actually, to your point, you know, that's why my wife and I bought a house. We, we sat down and we added up how much we had spent on rent. So we, we actually dated for, oh, good night. We dated for six and a half years before we got married. Wow. And... uh yeah, she's a little bit older than me. I was pretty immature. I'm still immature, but you know, <laughs> yeah, well. um, you know, it. I had to catch up to her a little bit, but we we sat down, and we added up how much we had spent on rent, and totally uh, something an accountant would do. Yeah, well, <laughs> man, I got to tell you, I can't even get away with spending anything anymore because she reconciles all our accounts now. Yeah, and, uh, that's and cool man, though. And uh, as soon as I as soon as I spend something, I'll go buy like a you know, nice case of wine, and and I'm getting a text. She's like, "What did you just spend eight hundred dollars on?" It's like, <laughs> uh, she gets into anything over yeah. like five hundred, she gets an alert. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh man!" So, but she's cool. She's awesome, um, and she'll drink it with me too. Yeah. So. So. But uh, but no, we added it up, and and we were both kind of sick, you know, with how much uh, we had spent on rent. <clears throat> how, I mean, just curious, like what? Are you well, it was like eighty five grand or something a year. No, 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 just collectively over the time oh, that yeah. just her and I had been together. Mm -hmm. You know, we sat down and added it up, and it was just this massive number. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, and because whenever I first met her, she was actually kind of looking to buy a house at the time. Mm -hmm. And she was looking in 09 before I met her, and then 2010 when we met. And, um, man, it was uh, that was back when I was selling home remodeling. Yeah. Man, and let me tell you something. After that 08 crash, I was going into about 1,000 homes a year on appointments, mm -hmm. selling remodeling and flooring. Ooh, man, there was some rough stuff, man. People really just didn't care. I mean, took sledgehammers to the whole house. Yeah. I mean, just just wild stuff. And, and um, I mean, the stuff she was looking at was probably 125000 140000 at the time. They're, those are now, you know, four fifty. dollars yep. 500000 yeah. now. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there's, I see, like, I look at comps on MLS way too much. All day. <laughs> I mean, I everything we're buying, I'm looking at, and a lot of the leads we generate, I even look at to see where where the numbers stand. And so, you know, I, I probably run thirty plus like ARVs a day. So yeah. I look at, you know, each time I run one, I look at thirty properties. So that's nine hundred properties a day that I'm just kind of scrolling through and seeing yeah. what's going on, and like every day. So I see I see a lot, and I see. Um, I see stuff back from that time period, particularly in Fort Worth, mid-cities, where homes were trading for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, $35,000 back in 2010, 2011. Some of them. Some of, the, some of them. There's yeah. definitely areas where it's way more. Well, like Summerfields, right? Yeah. You know, it was still pretty low. I think in 20, 2009, you could still get a house in Summerfields over there for like 
like maybe 80 grand, 70 yeah. grand. But um, but the thing was, there was such a hit on that areas like that because those are a lot of the people that got into those predatory loans. Yep. Because like the house my parents bought in Summerfields back in 85 was $56,000. Crazy. So, you know, but even now you can still get a house for 200 grand over there, but that area is dilapidated so much. Yep. Um, you can get stuff for 225 over in Summerfields all day, but man, it is. From when I was a kid living over there to now, I went back and looked at my childhood home over on Huckleberry Drive. Mm, I bought Ooh. something on Huckleberry Drive before. Man, that was uh, it was a little depressing. It was I, I about as run down as it gets. Yeah, so. it's it, it can be just shocking. I mean, it's 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 usually the homes that traded at that were run down homes back then, and it's like during that time, think about it. Think about supply and demand in 2010. It's wild. Like people could just pick whatever they wanted to buy. I mean, there was it was a buyer's market, one of the best buyer's markets of probably our lifetimes. Yeah. If not the best. Like that it was incredible what you could get back then for the money. And so when you had junky homes, there was just like, why? Why it had to be so cheap and such a good deal to motivate someone to to deal with it because there were so many good deals laying around everywhere. Everywhere was a good deal. There was no bad deals on real estate in 2010. No. It was no. all steals. You could just rob anybody. Not not, <laughs> not, not like in the sense of you're Whoa, taking man, their money, hey, hey. but it's like it, if you look at it now, it looks like robbery. Like, dude, 25000 that house is two fifty now. You 10x your money in 10 years. That's well, solid. Well, man. you know, to the same point, we could make that same argument from, you know, selling in, in – uh, in in July of 2020 versus July of 2021. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and and I had some sellers call. I I we, there's some sad conversations we had. I yeah, I have a client that bought a place uh in Argyle um for uh you know 1.6 million and we closed in December of 2020. Tomorrow we could probably sell it for 2.8. I want to wow. say maybe 3 million. It's on 3 acres, 7500 mm -hmm. square foot house. Awesome place. And we caught it. I remember a month later when the market started popping off. And stuff started just going through the roof. I mean, I talked to him probably about a year after he bought it, and uh, he he was like, "Hey man, just curious how much you know how much does this go up?" And I ran some numbers at the time. It went from you know one six to like two three, two four in Dude. a year. And um, but yeah, that happened a lot. You know, it did. And, especially <clears throat> with those those homes you're talking about with some land and things. That was what a lot of people like the rural areas really got a big pop during yeah. that time where it was not necessarily rural but l not city where you had an acre or two or three. Mm -hmm. That stuff just popped big time man which is fair man there's something to be said for having some space and some land after you go through something kind of traumatizing like covid and the some of the fear that uh existed around how am i going to eat you know is my food supply going to get cut off well yeah like, and, well and also with i need space from other people well with know? remote work too yeah people didn't want to be in the city anymore yeah right they went out same thing with lake houses oh yeah. my goodness oh, did you yeah. see how much lake houses like lake, lake creek lake and stuff it's just oh been man so. well eagle mountain lake you yeah. know the homes they i mean you could go there was a house i showed a client in 2018 uh that they were trying to sell for six hundred thousand, and it was i mean it's probably five thousand square foot house mm -hmm. waterfront 1.2 acre lot Four car garage, you know, it was a little dated. It was built in yeah. probably like ninety two, but uh, I mean, I actually ended up following that because I was curious. And somebody renovated it, bought it at six hundred, lived in it for a few years, sold it in twenty two for like two million dollars. It's crazy. So man. I mean, but stuff like tripled in value. Lakefront probably yeah. that was that was wild, but yeah. Um, I mean, we had some phenomenal flips during that time where it was just you know you hit that timing right in the market, man. That was. You weren't uh, buying properties, doing nothing to them, just sitting on them and then reselling them, were you? I mean, with a renter in them, yeah. Right. You're not <laughs> leaving them vacant? 
No, typically not. There was a vacant creates problems like squatters and right. other things. So I typically don't leave property vacant. I saw that happen a lot where people it was out of state investors usually. Foreign buyers oftentimes too. Foreign buyers would yes. do that and they buy it and they would never put anyone in there. They'd sit on it because of the way the market was going. They could sit on it for six months and resell it and make a profit. Yeah, that's man, that's some <clears throat> speculation right there though. Speculative buying. It's not my thing. That's like that's gambling to me more than investing. Yeah. Like you're kind of crossing over from an investment to a, a bet at yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, it's like betting on the Cowboys. Just it, oh, on. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is. It's, um, it's not my favorite. But hey, man, it's been great talking to you today. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. Appreciate it a ton. Um, I love what, what you've done and uh, it's impressive. Sure. So glad, glad to hear it. Um, thanks for joining us today and, uh, until next time, uh, pursuit of prosperity podcast. Take care. Bye. Awesome.